This anointed teaching by Apostle Theo Volmerans comes to you from Christian Family Church International. Hi, family of God. We are back again. Thank you, Jesus. So good to be with you in Johannesburg, South Africa. Please give yourself a great big hand clap for being in church this morning. Praise God. All right. Our message today is titled, Zacchaeus and the Sycamore Tree. Zacchaeus and the Sycamore Tree. We are to rescue the lost as a team effort. Say that. We are to rescue the lost as a team effort. As a body of church believers. As a church body. We work together as a team. We invite people to church then we all work together to keep them in church as a team. Every one of us is responsible to find the stranger attending church, introduce ourselves and make them feel welcome. So we are all responsible to walk around, find strangers, introduce ourselves and make them feel welcome. I know it's common for us to head straight for our best friends in the church, go hang out with them for a few minutes. But let's think about the visitor, the one God sends. Let's make them feel welcome, love on them, take them with you, introduce them to your friends. Every one of us is responsible to find the stranger attending church and to introduce ourselves and make them feel welcome. If we are believers, we have got to be involved in this practice. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, has commanded us to do this. He said, let's make disciples. Each of us knows at least one person that no one else among us knows. Let's see how Jesus rescues Zacchaeus. Let's go to Luke chapter 19 and verse 1. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was one of the most influential Jews in the Roman tax collecting business. And he had become very rich. Now, when God says very rich, (laughs) that means he's very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowds. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree beside the road so he could watch from the tree looking down. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. I guess that blew Zacchaeus away. How did he even know my name? Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the crowds were displeased. 
He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Zacchaeus was despised by his own people. He was a Jew who worked for the Roman government. He collected taxes for the Roman government from his own people, the Jews. He was crooked and they hated him. They were shocked that Jesus would even talk to Zacchaeus. Now, do you know somebody like that? Do you know somebody you would rather not talk to about Jesus? I'm sure all of us know somebody we'd rather not talk to about Jesus. But Jesus showed us, put that aside and talk to them. Growing spiritually, which is something we all want to do, is not only learning about God from his word, We must share what we learn with others. That's how we grow spiritually. We learn and share. That's how we grow spiritually and stay spiritually healthy. The Dead Sea in Israel, well, firstly, the Sea of Galilee has a stream coming in, fresh water from the mountains, in the river Jordan, And running out the other side, it goes into the Dead Sea. Now, the Dead Sea doesn't have water running out. It only has water running in. And the water evaporates and leaves a a huge amount of salt in the water. Normal salt in the sea is about 2 or 3%. But the Dead Sea salt percentage is like 35, maybe 40%. So that's why folks can sit in the Dead Sea and float and read their newspaper. It's because it's so dense. But no fish grows there. No, no fish will live there. And no life, no weeds, nothing grows around the Dead Sea. It's just dead. Because it doesn't give out. only takes in. And so many Christians are like that. They only take in, they don't give out. We have to be disciples if we're going to grow. Now, it's great that our best friends are believers, and our best friends should be believers. However, we have to remain intentional about building bridges to people who are far away from God. People all around us are one heartbeat away from hell and don't even realize it. They may have plenty of money, but they don't realize they are really poor. When you go to hell, you're very poor. In Luke 19, verse 8, we read, Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, If I I will give half of my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I have overcharged people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. I'll give them back four times what I've overcharged them. Jesus responded and said, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself 
to be a son of Abraham. And I, the son of man, came to seek and to save those like Zacchaeus who are lost. That is a powerful story. Zacchaeus changed. He repented. And Jesus changed Zacchaeus' life. That is the way Jesus does things. One-on-one, out where the sinners are. Jesus goes one-on-one, out where the sinners are. Now, we learned in part two that he went, the woman at the well in Samaria, and yet we see he goes to Zacchaeus' house. Both of these people became mighty evangelists. He is our example. Jesus is. Let's go to Proverbs 24 and verse 11 from the TPT translation. It says, go and rescue the perishing. Be their savior. Why would you stand back and watch them stagger to their death? And why would you say, it is none of my business? The one who knows you completely and judges your every motive is also the keeper of souls. And not just yours, he sees through your excuses and holds you responsible for failing to help those whose lives are threatened. Talking about the lost going to hell. Jesus was about the Father's business. And we ought to be about our Father's business as well, just like Jesus. If you desire the Lord to use you and rescue lost souls, say this little prayer with me, please. Lord Jesus, let's say it, Lord Jesus, you told me to go into all the world and preach the gospel. I'm ready to go. Please use me to bring others to you Give me boldness to speak and to share the gospel. Open doors of opportunity for me to witness and share my salvation story. Thank you for giving me power, the power of the Holy Spirit to enable me to do this. I boldly declare in faith, I am a soul winner. Praise God. Now Ezekiel 33, please, in verse 8 from the New Living Translation. If I announce that some wicked people are sure to die, and you fail to tell them about changing their ways, then they will die in their sins, and I will hold you responsible for their deaths. But if you warn them to repent, and they don't repent, they will die in their sins, but you will not be held responsible. 
Now let's go to Ezekiel 3 verse 18. When I say to a wicked person, you will surely die, and you do not warn them or speak out to dissuade them from their evil ways in order to save their life, that wicked person will die for their sin, and I'll hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn the wicked person and they do not turn from their wickedness or from their evil ways, they will die for their sin, but you will have saved yourself. Verse 20, again, when a righteous person turns from their righteousness and does evil, and I put a stumbling block before them, they will die. Since you did not warn them, they will die for their sin. The righteous things that person did will not be remembered. And I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn the righteous person not to sin, and they do not sin, they will surely live because they took warning and you will have saved yourself. Now this is heavy duty, serious business. He's talking about people who backslide. Here in verse 21, verse 20. And he's saying, we've got to warn them and go get them, bring them back to church. And if we don't, God's going to require their blood at our hands. That's serious business. You know, not everybody in the church knows who's backsliding. But all of us may know one person that used to come to church and doesn't come any longer. You are responsible before God because you know who they are and God knows that you know who they are. You are responsible, not the pastor. Go find that person. Bring them back to church, disciple them, get them strong on their feet again. But if they refuse to repent and come with you, then you will not be guilty. So God is pretty serious about this, huh? All right. It's important, dear child of God, it's important to the Father, the Heavenly Father, that we not only lead someone to Christ, but that we disciple them as well. Hebrews 6.10. For God is not unfair. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for other Christians. Say this, please. If I want to show God how much I love him, I need to care for other Christians. Say it this way. When I care for other Christians, I am showing God how much I love him. Or say it this way. 
when I care for other Christians, I'm actually loving God. Now then, the best way you can do that is to join the dream team. Join the dream team and serve in the house of the Lord every weekend and take care of other Christians by doing so. Become active in the kingdom and you'll fulfill these scriptures. Praise God. Now then, at this point, I'm going to share a few little stories with you. I shared some stories in part two. Now I'm going to share some stories here with you again in part three. I have, <clears throat> I had a friend called, his name was Michael Henry, a great evangelist who used to live in Chatsworth. And... Um, Wonderful brother in Christ. And he had a, a huge tent that he used to use in Chatsworth to do evangelistic crusades. So from time to time, I'd go visit him, sit in his meeting. Then afterwards, we'd go into his caravan and we'd eat curry and rice together and fellowship about the Lord. And I used to love that time with him, a wonderful brother in Christ. So anyway, one, one night, we're sitting there, service is over. It's like 10 o'clock at night, and we're eating curry and rice. And um, his wife is there. She cooked the food. Anyway, so Brother Michael and I are sitting at the table when his security guard knocks at the door. He only had one security guard. So this brother comes in and he says to us, there are about a dozen guys outside with knives. They told us, told me, the security guard said they told me, they're going to cut the ropes holding the tent up so the tent will fall down on all the chairs and all the uh, sound equipment and the platform. How is he going to fix that? He's going to have to put new ropes in. That means for maybe a week, the crusade's done. No crusade. So this was a problem, okay? These guys are against Christ, didn't want preaching in the neighborhood. Not good. So, and they had knives to cut the ropes. So now, I, I did mention to you that I was the karate champion of South Africa for about three years. So anyway, sugar car karate champion. So I, um, I took my shoes off. Don't do this at home. I was crazy. I just recently got saved. I was only a Christian for about three or five years. I still had that little bit of wildness in me, which has been, I'm cured from that now. But anyway, so I went outside and Brother Michael's car was parked right there, Michael Henry's car, right outside the caravan. So I jumped on top of the car, and these guys came around me. So I said to them, okay, fine. I took my shoes off so I wouldn't slide on that, on that roof of that car. And I said, now, 
The first one that comes to me is going to be in trouble. Who is going to be the first one? Come and get me. I want to see how brave you are. Come on. There's one of me and about 10 or 12 of you. Come on, let's fight. Because I'm defending the man of God and the work of God. You want to destroy God's work. Come and get me. So they all got around me. They looked at me. And they were probably thinking, there's something going on here. This guy knows something. Why would he take on a whole bunch of people on his own? They talked and they looked and then they decided, well, I'm going. And they left. Praise God. They didn't do anything. Thank you, Jesus. I believe God intervened. Thank you, Lord. Um, I don't know if you've heard of Brian Gibson. Um, a wonderful dear brother. He's a guitarist and a singer. He used to be a folk singer in clubs. While I was running my nightclubs, I had three nightclubs, discos, Theo's disco. I had bus. I showed you that last week. And uh, let me show you the picture of um, me while I was running my nightclub wearing a Davy Crockett outfit. There, we'll have a look at that picture. So anyway, I used to mime to all the songs. I didn't sing them. I used to mime to them all night long while I was playing the music while people were dancing. That was before I was a Christian, obviously. And I got born again September 12, 1971 at the age of 23 in Pastor George Dillman's church, great evangelist and pastor. Anyhow, so um, I'd recently got saved. I was saved about five years. And um, so I knew Brian Gibson from the days when I was playing nightclubs and he's playing in nightclubs. So I knew him. And I heard, he told me that he'd become religious Religious, and that he was so religious, he could have a pencil in his hand and would write by itself, would write him messages. Wouldn't have to, write, he wouldn't write, it would write. The pencil would write while he's holding it. That's how religious he was, okay? He's proud of this. So I said to him, Brian, I need to come see you. So I came, went to his house. And I showed him the scriptures on witchcraft, on demons, I prepared myself before I went, showed him the scriptures, and I said, Brian, you have a demon in you. That's what's going on here. You need to give your life to Jesus. And if you will accept Christ as your Savior, I can cast that demon out of you. He said, okay. So he accepted Christ as Savior, and I spoke the demon and left. I said, now try and write. You'll see it won't work. So he tried to write, and it didn't work. Firstly, he said, prove to me, prove to me that this is a demon. I said, okay, fine. Write. So he wrote. So I said, when I put my hand on your shoulder, you will not be able to write. He said, okay. And I put my hand on your shoulder, the writing stopped. He said, okay, I'm convinced. Crossed it out, he accepted Christ and got saved. Became a wonderful Christian, and uh, he he used to play uh, for Ray McCauley at Raymer a lot, and uh, he went to church there. 
And I've lost track of Brian Gibson. I don't know where he is right now, but I know he's still serving God on fire for Jesus. Al Gore. Now, Al Gore was the vice president of America at one time. And um, I was flying back with Pastor Bev from uh, London to America on American Airlines. Uh, we're flying first class. And I'm sitting in the first class cabin by the right-hand window, and I see Al Gore against the other side the left-hand window. And um, he was vice president during, uh, during uh, President Clinton's time. So I, uh, I waited for the right moment. After he'd finished eating his, his dinner and he was relaxed and everything was quiet in the cabin, and I got up and I thought, what am I going to say to him? I want to go witness to him. So I went over there. Now, I'll be honest with you. I, I believe that we need to, as I said before, I believe that we need to exercise, spend money on fossil fuels and refine them, stop the pollution, which we can do very easily. But we should use fossil fuels like coal fracking, oil, gas, because it supplies the world with energy. There's abundance of it. But now they want to go to the Green New Deal, which is very costly. It's going to drive up costs around the world, bring inflation. It's going to make a lot of people poor. But anyway, I don't want to get into all that now. So I'm not really in favor of the Green New Deal, although I believe in saving the planet, of course. But we don't have to do it that way. Okay. Because that's really about control. But I wanted to get him saved. And I knew he was the leader for the Green New Deal. I mean, he's going around the world preaching the Green New Deal gospel. So I thought, okay, fine, this is what I'm going to do. I got up and I went around to him and I stood at a distance. I stood about six or seven feet, two meters away from him. I didn't go into his space. I just looked at him until I had his attention. I just stood there. He looked up at me and I said, good evening, Mr. Vice President. He said, good evening. I said, my name is Theo Walmerantz. Said, I said, I've come over here to tell you that we all appreciate all that you're doing to save the planet. So now, I'm sure his heart's right. He's trying to save the planet, right? Okay. Going about the wrong way, though. We appreciate all you're doing to try and save the planet. Thank you very much. So he says, well, thank you. Thank you. So I said to him, I have one little question I wanted to ask you. He says, sure, what's that? So I said, you're doing so much to save the planet. 
But what are you doing about saving your own soul? So, boy, I could see his brain turning. And he says, you know, you're right. I need to attend to that. I need to attend to that. I said, okay, I just want to leave you with that thought. Last fellowshipping with you. He said, thank you. And I went and sat down. Now he's thinking, I know God's going to take that. What are you doing about saving your own soul? The Holy Ghost will take that and keep watering that seed. So anyhow, another time, I was in the first class lounge in London, British Airways lounge, and Pastor Bev and I were sitting down and uh, just about 20 minutes or so before we had to leave the lounge and go down to the gate to go on board, I decided to go to the restroom and I saw, as I passed by, I saw Mick Jagger from the Rolling Stones sitting against the wall on the one side. And it was quiet. There wasn't many people in the lounge at that time. So when I went to the restroom, I was thinking, what can I say to him? I want to talk to Mick Jagger about Jesus. What can I say? So I was thinking, Holy Spirit, help me. So now I remember, before I was a Christian, I used to love the Rolling Stones music. I still like to listen to their music once in a while. I like to listen to the 60s music once in a while. Anyhow, mostly I listen to Christian music on a Christian radio. In the car, that is. But anyway, so... I figured out fine. Well, I remember when I was 15 years old, going to town and going to a record club, they used to call them record uh, shops, where they used to sell big 33 albums, 78, and then 45. Some of you older people remember that, discs. So anyway, in those years, if you went and you wanted to buy an album, you could put headphones on and you can listen to it before you buy it. They had one that you could play and listen to, and then you buy one, a sealed one. So I, um, I always used to request the Rolling Stones LP, and it was their first one. And there were some songs on there that I used to love listening to. So I spent like a half an hour just listening to that music. I was 15 years old with these headphones on. I never had the money at 15 to buy the album. But anyway, so I remembered that. I thought, okay, fine. I'm going to go and talk to him now. I've got it. So I went up to him, and I stood about four meters, five meters away from Mick Jagger. There's no one else around. Just he's talking to his business manager. I guess that's who it was. And I just stood there looking at him. And the business manager came up to me. So he said, can I help you? So I said, I said, I just want to tell Mick Jagger how much I enjoyed his music. I've been following his music from the age of 15. And, and the Rolling Stones is a great band. And to me, it's even better than the Beatles. I love the Stones more than the Beatles when I was younger, growing up. 
And I just want to compliment him on his music and dedication to the industry. He said, well, okay, fine. Come on. Come on. Talk to, my, to Mick. <laughs> so <laughs> I went up to him. And there again, I stood about two meters away. Don't want to get in his space. So I said, hi, Mick. Uh, my name is Dr. Theo Walmerans. I said, you know, when I was 15 years old, I used to go into record shops and listen to Rolling Stones. I followed your music. Your band was the favorite band in my life in all those young years. And I still like once in a while listening to Rolling Stones. So he said, well, thank you, thank you. And I said, I want to com compliment you on dedicating your life to good music. He said, well, thank you, thank you. I said, there's one thing I also wanted to mention to you. He said, yeah, what's that? I said, Jesus really loves you. So he looked at me, he said, well, thank you. But I'm very busy right now. Thank you very much. And then he just sat down. <laughs> Opened his computer and started typing. And I figured out that's a good time to leave. <laughs> but I sowed the seed. Now, another time I was standing in the line in Jansburg, going aboard the plane. We came down from the lounge and we were standing in the long line. And we were going to board the plane in Jansburg to go to, to uh, London. And um, this is quite a few years ago. And at that time, Pierce Bronson was about to become the new James Bond. And I heard somewhere in the news that he was chosen and accepted the offer and that he was going to be the new James Bond. They were going to make the next James Bond movie would be Pierce Bronson. So anyway, just so happened now, Pierce Bronson is in the line next to me, right? And we're just about to go on through the gates, yeah. He's going one way, I'm going another. So I didn't look at him. I'm just standing in the line. And I just spoke and I said, and look at him, he's standing right next to me. He could hear everything I'm saying. So I, I said, I heard through the grapevine that you are going to be our next James Bond. And I said, I didn't stop there. I said, I think you would make a phenomenal James Bond. And I meant that. You would make a great James Bond. So then he looked at me and he said, well, thank you very much. It's true. I am the next James Bond. I said, well, congratulations. You're going to do great. And then I was about to talk to him about the Lord when we had to part company. And I didn't get the opportunity. But I was ready to speak to Pierce Bronson. And who knows? James Bond might have got saved. <laughs> All right. As we close, I want to talk about the time of the Gentiles coming to a close. The time of the Gentiles coming to a close. We're going to read a verse from the Bible. 
which speaks about the judgment of the Gentile nations, those nations who aren't Jews. And when they come against the people of God, when they come against the Jews, the Israelites, this is what will happen, and it will happen pretty soon. From Ezekiel chapter 30, verse 3. For the day is near, even the day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds or judgment, the time of the Gentiles. It's going to be a time of judgment for the nations of the Gentiles. Now, if you read the whole of Ezekiel, you'll see that's mentioned so many times and clearly in that book. So that means that the time of Gentiles is coming to an end. That's what that means. Let's see if we can confirm that in the New Testament as well. All right, Luke 21, verse 24. Jesus is speaking about the city of Jerusalem. And they will fall by the edge of the sword, that's the Jews, and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So the time of the Gentiles is over. And you know and I know that Israel has been attacked by Gentile nations even up to this day, fiercely. But God says it'll happen until the time of the Gentiles is done. Now go to Romans 11.25. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So Israel has been blinded from understanding the gospel until the time of the Gentiles is done, until all the Gentiles who are going to get saved have gotten saved. Now, I'm going to show you something here on the screen. A picture I took from the screen of Fox News. This picture I took in February 2013. February 2013. Of, of my phone, of the screen on Fox News, which is the largest cable news network in America. All right? You can see on the screen right now, because they're showing it to you, the second item is region. They asked American citizens, how many of you are Christians? You claim to be a Christian. 62% of Americans said they were Christians in 1998. They did the same survey at the beginning of 2023, two months ago. The same survey. They found now that 39% of Americans say they are Christians. So that number from 25 years 
in 25 years has gone from 62% to 39%. A huge drop. Now, the same thing has happened in Europe, even worse. Does that indicate that the time of the Gentiles is drawing to a close? Because the same thing has happened in several countries. By the grace of God, I don't believe it's happening in South Africa. The same thing's happening in several countries around the world. A drop off in Christianity. My question is, could the time of the Gentiles be drawing to a close? Could God be focusing his attention more on Israel now? And little less on the Gentiles. Well, watch this video. This video was taken in Israel of the Jews worshiping Jesus. And I'm going to ask them to put that on a loop so you can watch it over two or three or four times because it's very short. Put on a loop, let it play over and over. Okay, go with the video. So you can see the love that they have for Jesus in Israel. That is a great revival taking place. We can't deny that. What's going on? We see a decline in the Gentile nations of Christianity and a rise, a revival among the Jews. Huh. The prophecies are coming to pass. I said that to say this. We as Christians need to travail and intercede earnestly for our friends and family who are Gentiles, not Jews. We must pray for a worldwide revival now while the window is still open above the Gentile nations. God wants to pour out his spirit in a mighty way. God wants a great end time revival. It's been prophesied in the scripture. But if we fail to pray, it will not happen, child of God. I urge us, I know many of you are praying, but we need to pray with more fervency, more intensity, and all of us need to be coming prayer warriors, not just some of us. Pray at home, pray in our prayer groups, pray at church. Let's pray for South Africa. Let's pray for revival in America, in South Africa, and around the world. Pray for worldwide revival. If we'll pray for worldwide revival, God will give it to us as well. For what we pray for, for others, God will bless us with at the same time, and we will see a lot more people getting saved in our services than ever before. Praise God. 
And then finally, I want to say, I can't imagine what it would be like. I can't imagine what it would be like to stand before Jesus Christ on judgment day when he's judgment day when he sits on his throne as our judge. Without even one soul that we have won for him. Without even one soul that we have won for him in our life during our lifetime on earth. Nothing to give Jesus. Nothing. How sad will that be? I don't want to see any of our people have to deal with that. Please. I'm sharing this message to avoid embarrassment on that day. Take this seriously. Let's start winning souls. Let's pray for revival. Ask Jesus to open the door and talk about what he's done for you. Share your story. No one can argue with that. It's your story. No one can tell your story better than you can. And everybody likes to hear a story. All right, family. Now, I'm going to share one more message along this line. And I've got some really powerful stories I'm going to share with you about my early experience. You'll love it. All right? God bless you. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Every head bowed and every eye closed. How many of you would say, Apostle Theo, I want to be sure I go to heaven one day. Can you pray for me? Yes, I can. And as I pray, God will speak to you right there in your seat and let you know you are going to heaven one day. And if you want that assurance, I'm going to count to three, slip your hand up. And when you do, they'll say to God, speak to my heart. Give me that assurance. And he will. When I pray, he will. All right? I'm counting three. Slip those hands up right now. One, two, three. Thank you. Praise God. All right. Keep your hand raised. Somebody's coming to pray with you. Somebody who loves the Lord is going to stand next to you and put their hand on your shoulder to let you know we love you and Jesus loves you while I pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm going to invite everybody to say this prayer with me, especially you that have your hands raised. Let's say the prayer together now. Dear God, thank you for sending Jesus to die on that cross in my place. Please forgive me, Jesus, for all of my sins. Come into my heart, save my life. Thank you, Jesus. I declare you are my Savior and you are my Lord. I will listen to you, follow you, and serve you as the Lord of my life. Praise God. I am saved. I'm God's child. I'm bound for heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Volmerans. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev Volmerans and would like to enjoy more resources, we hope you will visit our website at www.christianfamilychurch.co.za or for our American listeners, www.christianfamilychurchsa.com. Thank you.